Terrence. Darren, how's it going? Good. Can you hear me? We're good to Again. go. Sick. Well, how are you, dude? Sorry it took me forever to get to you. Oh, that's all right. It's been a pretty quiet day, so I'm not too worried about that. Perfect. Cool. Well, I wanted to get you on today to answer this question just because uh, I thought maybe this could give some benefit to other people that have reached out about it that I haven't gotten back to. Um, and it, I think it'd be good for us to kind of just talk through it. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's a, a good open conversation and, you know, share some good ideas and kind of hopefully someone else can take some something away from this podcast too. Yeah. hundred percent. So for the people that don't know who you are, tell them just like a quick th- 30 second intro about who you are other than that. You're jacked. We already know that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> um, yeah. So my name is Terrence Limbert. Um, I'm up in Canada, uh, Vernon, British Columbia on the West coast here. Uh, I own Forge Valley fitness. Um, primarily we're a functional training gym. Um, and we also train, uh, youth and I tend to train quite a few athletes in various sports. Um, it can be rugby, football, hockey, lacrosse, volleyball, a lot of alpine ski as well. Um, and just recently or a couple years ago, met Darren here, uh, down in Texas. We both did our power athlete, uh, block one certification, which if you have not, don't know what that is, you should definitely head over to power athlete and get to know what that means because I honestly think it's hands down one of the best coaching experiences and certifications you can get. Perfect. That, that, that kind of dials them in. So up in Canada, real quick, how's everything going with, I know Canada, <laughs> the COVID thing's been a little bit different even in the U S. Oh man. It's, it's been honestly a bit of a nightmare. We just actually just came out of, uh, another gym shutdown. Oh, no. uh, gyms were, yeah, gyms were, they gave us the, the word on December 21st that gyms were going to be closed from December 23rd to January 18th. So that was a, a real great Christmas present. Wow. Yeah, um, that's. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. There's actually quite a big movement right now going on with this whole kind of called free BC thing and uh, a unity and freedom movement to be like the people don't want these mandates and closures. You got to just let us live. So otherwise it's, it's been all right. It's been a chilly winter, but it's good. Got no more mountain biking. No more mountain biking. Yeah, all the snow <laughs> on the trails right now, unfortunately. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so that's unfortunate, but hopefully that, hopefully that movement can get things started to move in the right direction up there. Um, mm-hmm. So off the top of your head, I can go back and read it as well. Uh, can you kind of summarize that, that question that you sent over to me? Yeah. So, uh, Darren had a story and this is kind of why it came to mind. Darren had a story of one of those athletes doing a really good, uh, short sprint interval interval on the air runner and form looked absolutely dialed in, you know, really good pull weight through the forefront of the foot, pulling through those hamstrings. And most importantly on this topic conversation, Elbows locked in 90 degrees, super rigid torso. Um, I just recently gained a, a couple of clients of of a current client. Her, her daughter and, and her boyfriend are 100-meter and 200-meter sprinters um, and just started training with them probably about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. And for, overall, they're loving it so far. And one of the things that I can see falling apart for them is is form and running. And 
kind of talking to them a little bit, trying to better understand what really good sprint technique is. Um, I mean, I'm not a sprinter by trade, but I definitely know a lot of stuff. And right away, you could see one of the habits was both of them, the, the male in particular, really had a habit of extending his elbow when it went into extension, going to a straight arm. And I cued him, you know, elbow nine degrees. And immediately he's like, you know what you're talking about. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm like, I don't know if it's a super big deal in sprinting, you know, in your sport. And I kind of was looking around and like, oh, these are pictures of these, you know, elite level runners. And I'm still seeing some of those same faults come, come along where the elbow is not staying 90 degrees. It's getting a bit floppy. And I reached out to Darren to kind of ask his point of view on that and maybe some more better experience in terms of different sport translation, training, et cetera, and to kind of open the conversation about that. Yeah. Awesome. That was a great summary. So um, just for listeners, like coming from the same background, uh, probably in the last year and a half is where we, myself and my other been diving into uh, the sprint mechanics, speed, um, that, that side of the coin, because we were really comfortable with, uh, the strength work that we're doing really comfortable in like our philosophy. But I started to realize there was kind of a big gap in like what I knew my background and kind of putting together a total package of an athlete. So the last year and a half, I've been spending a lot of time, resources, money on getting education through that. Um, and, and so obviously this will, as we talk through this, I would still consider myself um, somewhat of a amateur novice in terms of, of coaching actual sprinters and speed. Um, I wanted to kind of weigh in on, listen to it and kind of what I found over time. So I think what's important is we put some some context into um, this, right? Cause you're talking about, so basically we're going to talk about the difference between um, sprinting and potentially speed work for a athlete. Like, let's think, let's just narrow it down to one sport. Like let's think football, um, American football versus sprinting for track. Isn't that, um, and then even kind of there, there's been three phases of the sprint that I've been able to tie it down, um, or in my mind kind of categorize them as, and that have helped me a lot. And that's going to be, so you have acceleration mechanics, which are actually going to be a little bit different. So you highlighted top end. So like when I'm mm-hmm. using those true form runners, our, our kids are uh, demonstrating and practicing their top end speed mechanics. So that's going to be once somebody has accelerated completely, they're running at a full speed. Um, how do they maintain that? What does that look like? So there's the acceleration, the transition, and the top end. And I think I would say for most of our field sport athletes, we live and breathe in acceleration um, because most sports, other than like an occasional play for a wide receiver, a DB or something gone wrong in football, like actually running full speed top end is very minimal. And number two is you have a ball in your arm at that point as well. So you're obviously your arm swing is going to be a little bit different. So that's what's that's where it gets tricky is when you get into track like that becomes more of that true run like your your athletes demands are a little bit different like their job is literally they are planning on running and they're going to be running full speed mm-hmm. um so now you're kind of running into like okay now i have actual sprinters track sprinters and what's that supposed to look like so i've spent a lot of time um kind of breaking down slow motion videos of elite sprinters 
And I think one thing that's important um, in the acceleration phase, like most of the best coaches I follow in the education I'm getting, uh, they don't really worry about the arm swing as much in the acceleration phase. And it's more about uh, per se, like leaning with the torso and reaching with the arms. So they actually, the people that I like and, and what we found is less of a joint. So a more open joint angle is actually in the acceleration phase both the knee and the elbow is going to allow for like a greater lean and reach and more, a more powerful position. So like that kind of straight arm swing out in front of them with less elbow bend uh, is pretty common in, in elite sprinters um, in the acceleration phase. So thinking like first three to five steps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that was actually a conversation when we kind of brought that up and it's funny when I kind of called him and like bend your elbow, cause it was like way back there. We're just doing some walking lunges, body weight, with elbows moving. Um, he's like, yeah, I, I know I have that bad habit. And he commented, you know, I think I picked it up by watching Andre DeGrasse do it in one of his runs. Um, yeah. and I, and I, I said, I'm like, I know it's not great, you know, long-term and, but it's probably going to be okay. You know, in that initial acceleration from the blocks where you kind of more, it's more about leaning and driving forward, right? You're not so much getting a lot of pull and twist from the arms. It's about, getting forward yeah. as quick as possible you can yeah. use that arm to kind of almost leverage and kind of let your body weight fall with you yeah the coach like the, the the coaching cues we use is we actually have them reach they almost feel kind of dumb because they're reaching those arms out really in front um because mm-hmm. again that's going to promote that uh, forward torso lean and mm-hmm. also get them long and extended so allowing them to extend so they don't get crunched up um, yeah. in their position so the acceleration phase is it's a little bit different because there's a couple things you're looking for and that's a low hill recovery. So like in the top end that you're going to hit that figure four position, you want the hill kind of up by the butt, but in acceleration, you actually, you'll see kids almost drag the toe on the turf, which is a little excessive, Mm -hmm. but it's better than cycling that leg up high. So you really want to think about keeping that leg low to the ground and taking big, long steps. So almost like you're, bounding out of the blocks or bounding out of your start. Um, the, totally. the, you're on the ground longer, you're pushing longer through the ground. Your, your big focus is pushing, pushing, pushing. So you're not worried about cycling quickly. You're just pushing as hard as you can, mm-hmm. snapping that knee back up, keeping it totally. low to the ground and pushing again. So yeah. that, so they're the big reach, the big straight arms. Um, that, that actually is like probably that would be the advantageous position for him in the beginning. And then that's where you hit the transition steps five through seven to eight, and you start to come more, become more upright. Um, so your, your shin will be more vertical before your torso is all the way upright. Um, so that's kind of your transition is your body is still lean forward. Um, but now you're starting to see that shins vertical. There's less horizontal displacement. And now it's all about hitting the ground and getting off the ground quickly and maintaining as much speed as you. Can. So you should create a majority of your acceleration in the first five to seven steps. Um, that's really where a lot of the speed is. And then it becomes down to, there's a little bit more acceleration, but really maintaining. So getting off the mm-hmm. ground quickly. So your mindset changes from pushing down as hard as you can for now I'm trying to be elastic, hit the ground and then reset and get back up, ready to do it again without losing any posture and position and, and without bleeding any speed. So um, they're kind of like two different mindsets and that's where you're going to see more of what you're talking about with that 90 degree elbow. Um, because that, in my mind, it links like obviously your arm, like if you were done contralateral dead bugs, which you have with your kids, neuromuscular coordination, efficiency, like how your body works. So 
when you are running and you have, that's why I cue my kids to have a straight arm and acceleration because I tend to find they keep a, they, they kind of match the angles of their legs and their arms. Right. So mm-hmm. as you get into the top end, having that 90 degree elbow bend is really beneficial because a, you can pump your arms faster, right. And we're looking for a higher cycle rate at the top. And then also you're going to see a matchup between that figure four position and the 90 degree elbow. Although I will say top sprinters, I still see a big reach back. So on their backswing, they're actually still straightening that arm rather than keeping it at 90 and getting that. That's going to help with their stride length. So you'll see a lot of good sprinters reach their arm back to straight and then come back through 90, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So they come back yeah. up to the ear with the 90. But when they reach back, they're not maintaining a 90 like sometimes taught. Um, that's what I'm seeing with most of these really great sprinters mm-hmm. is – they're re- they're reaching big. They're thinking big, and and big stride because that arm is, again is linked to the leg. Um, but I would say like the arm swing is probably the last thing I would really dial in on. I think getting the lower mm-hmm. body mechanics um, typically starts to match up the arms on its own. So I would probably spend the least amount of time on arm swing in the totally. beginning, mm-hmm. and focus on uh, lower leg, hip, maintaining posture and position, what it feels like. Uh, all of that stuff I think is a little bit more important, but, mm-hmm. but that's where the difference is all athlete or I get a basketball athlete, like arm swing really doesn't matter because they're obviously using their arms, right? They're doing different totally. things with their arms and they're yeah. living in acceleration. Like basketball is lived and breathed in like a three step, three totally. to four step moving, getting horizontal, moving quickly, like those guys don't really ever even open it up to like a full sprint. Right. No. So arm swing for them is really non-existent. I mean, we get a ton of soccer kids that tend to have one arm that's tucked and one arm that swings <laughs> oh, yeah. based on dribbling a ball and defending a defender. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, but hopefully that gives you like an idea, like with the, with the track kids, the arm swing becomes more important for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but any thoughts on that? Let me hear you. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things like the talking about those phases of the, of the sprint, that's been a big conversation just so far with the two of them is the difference of power and speed. And I talk this, especially with my athletes that I train in terms of thinking like a box jump speed being get to the box as fast as you can, which 90% of people do automatically versus power being elevate your body as high as you can and land softly on top of the box. And with a lot of my athletes, when we start to do that, it's an absolute game changer because then they learn how to create power and force and not just speed because speed's easy. You just move your body through space. You don't need to be strong to be, to be fast, but you gotta be strong and powerful and vice versa. Yeah. But you gotta be, you gotta be strong and powerful to accelerate quickly, which exactly. And I would say 98% of sport, that is the big separating factor. Right. Totally. It's not, it's not who can, who's running the fastest at top end. It's like your best track kid is not going to necessarily be your best mm-hmm. basketball player or your best football player. Totally. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's where the misconception is. And that ties in. Like we work on that all the time. We have to constantly remind our athletes, you know, this hurdle is this high or this box is this high, but you're jumping as high as you can. Mm-hmm. Right. To get as you're landing on the boxes with straight legs, if possible, you're literally per- creating as much power as possible. And it's the same with Definitely. our squatting, right? The mm-hmm. compensatory acceleration training, right? It's like, yep. Hey, you can lift this weight slow or 
you can dial it in and it's mentally taxing, but you can yeah. move that bar as fast as you can every mm-hmm. and that's going to carry over to your training or to your sport a lot more than just grinding through reps, right? Definitely. So heavier isn't always better in that context. And that's something obviously that's not very mm-hmm. well known in the training world is like people just think bodybuilder equals athlete. So yeah, there's a huge disconnect there. Um, oh yeah. So that's, that's kind of where we've made a change is making sure we really coach that we've added in a ton of mini, I call them just like mini collisions, mini impacts into our training, which all that is, is, we're doing a ton of pogos. We're doing a ton of switches. We're doing a ton of sprint yeah. prep drills, uh, yeah. getting like little, t- little bounces, getting the ankle complex stronger, the lower leg. And mm-hmm. we've had like no last, like two years ago, we had some shin splints, some, uh, we didn't have any like extreme injuries, but we just had like some wear and tear and yeah. knock on wood. But this year it's, Oh, my dog just thought somebody knocked on the door, but, uh, literally like we haven't had any issues with that at all. We've had, like it's been insane the difference just by adding that into prep work every day. And then yes. our athletes ability to sprint, uh, getting them into that forefoot. I'd say a lot of kids reach with their heels. A lot of sprinters reach with their heels. We even went to a track meet this last weekend and even some kids in their track in their spikes are still heel striking. And I'm like, that's oh, gotta be painful. So, yeah. uh, getting kids to work with that forefoot, strengthening oh, yeah. the forefoot, um, that typically gets them in a, in a good position and allows them to be a little bit more explosive. Mm-hmm. Um, but so those are kind of the things you kind of, like, I was never aware of these little small things in, when it comes to to speed mm-hmm. and, and kind of connecting all the strength we were building to allow creating the athlete that can actually demonstrate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been the big difference for us. And that's like, like you said, get a kid in the forefoot, and then all of a sudden they're running on the treadmill looks way better. Right. And all Absolutely. that, all the only difference was, was now in their mind, they're like, if you usually, if you take shoes off of a kid, they automatically run in their forefoot because they don't, totally. it hurts to hit their heels. <laughs> Definitely. So that act, like you can just get a kid doing that for a little bit, just to feel that mm-hmm. is like your brain knows. And as soon as you put on these padded shoes, uh, it also knows you can get away with striking your heel. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the link between all that. But I would say the arm swing, like with these sprinters, like just to bring it back, it's like it, it's going it, to the answer. The long answer is it's going to look different in the acceleration versus the mm-hmm. top end. Yeah. And he's probably like, I think I still think it's beneficial to have that big reach, even in the even in the top end, like having that arm back and then back into a 90. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone I've been watching this fast does that. So, yeah, there's got to be think, some kind think- of correlation. I think as long as it's not overreaching too far, right? Because then it becomes a bit of a drag and you got to really pull yeah. it back, right? I think, I think at any point, if they obviously if they lose posture, like they, let's say Definitely. like they reach so far back, it opens up their chest and they're now they're like kind of leaning back. Yeah. Then, then yeah, that's like the same as what we learned with the lifting. It's like posture and position rules all. So like Absolutely. there needs to be carryover from the way you lift to how you sprint. And then when you sprint, mm-hmm. obviously if you're doing anything that's pulling you out of a stable trunk position um then you're losing the benefit of being able to drive drive aggressively through the ground and take that power and move it through the body so Mm -hmm. the last thought i have on the kind of arm swing whether it's you know doing just some high knee drills or whatever or if it's doing some walking lunge or step ups or trying to match that contralateral movement um 
especially for other athletes where we're, you know, it's not as important, especially if we're talking, you know, you know, like football or maybe rugby or even hockey where it's not even a, a real sprint sports. It's kind of a different action. I think a big point for me is just the general coordination of the athlete to be able to do it properly. I think yeah. that's a big payoff, right? If someone can't, does know how to keep yeah. their elbow at 90 degrees and only move their shoulder, you know, 15 degrees each direction. And they're doing like this huge, like 90 up a hundred back. And it's like, they're all over the place. That's a, that's a, uh, a big flag for me of like, this person's not very coordinated and over time, that's probably going to take away from your overall athleticism that might hold them back. Yeah, hundred percent. So I would say the best way for coaches to, you know, get past that and teach you like, I would just say it's reps, reps, reps. So we've been oh, giving yeah. our kids a ton of time, ton of time running way more time sprinting um, every day. Like we have the kids for an hour. We have most athletes two times a week. And then we have kids that come four to five, but, we spend at an hour session, we spend the first 20 to 25 minutes on prep work and then sprint drills. So we'll do a skips, a marches, a lot of marching, bounding, uh, running. We'll spend with our young, young kids. Like our, I'm really excited about the kids we have that are like b- between eight, like eight to pre middle school because mm-hmm. we're getting all, we're doing all these sprint. We're not lifting a lot of weights. We're lifting a little bit of weights, but we're doing a ton and a ton of, of just this like, patterning is what i'd call it just yeah just letting them practice the patterns and teaching them how to run and doing these drills to where now when they get into you know middle school high school they'll already be able to perform these at a higher level For and we sure. can and we can spend less time on that and more time on actually sprinting and moving fast and lifting more weights yeah um, i agree because if you can create those patterns early on then those yeah. patterns stick around right and they develop their speed within those patterns and then our can develop that habits and they're yeah, yeah. At, at that age, you're not really going to gain a lot of strength. Right. So it's, it's good yeah. to get them lifting, but you know, if they're going to really start weight training when they're, you know, 14, 15, that's when they're going to get the most strength when they're starting to go through puberty, testosterone, hormones going through their system. I think that's yep. a big, a really good kind of balance in what the focus is with different age groups. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's the same thing. Like those, those kids are strength training is that same thing in mind patterning, mm-hmm. teaching them how to a good squat pattern, teach them how to do a push up, teach them how to mm-hmm. do like begin to understand how to do a pull up or do a pull up ring rows. Like it's mm-hmm. all, it's all like basics and it's even been worth it taking back these older kids and, and, do, and starting to cause they're making a lot of progress quickly. Like if you would have came to our gym a year ago and everybody was doing like their switches and their dribbles and all that stuff, it was <laughs> so bad. And now like, you don't realize how good kids get until you have like a new kid come in. Oh yeah. And you're like, Oh my gosh. So What's crazy is like, I, that's why I do what I do is because I didn't have these up. Like nobody was teaching. Like we just expect everybody to know how to sprint in sports. Like, oh, you've played sports your whole life. Right. Like you know how to sprint. But then once oh, you yeah. start to understand what it looks like and what it should look like yeah. and you go to a high school game and you, you're like, none of these kids know, actually know how to run. And, no. th- and that's where you get the issues of people get shin splints. They get, end up, you know, running after sports is over in their life. And then they go get knee replacements, hip replacements. Like totally. there's a lot. These things, teaching people how to run, which people think should just be, I don't, I don't know, like, has there always been someone that taught people how to run pre his, <laughs> like, but like cavemen, was there a guy that taught everybody how to run or was it just because they were out running more barefoot? Like, totally. I don't know. But like, all I know is kids nowadays, 
like they need to be taught how to run. Like it's not absolutely something that's completely just natural. And they're like running well, just because they're a human. Like there's yeah. a couple kids that come in that are, and maybe it'd be fun one day to do a bunch of research on these kids and see what their background is or, or whatnot. It tends to be like lighter kids that don't mm-hmm. have to be very strong because they're small and they're light. Yeah. Um, so I think maybe those part small, of it, the shorter, lighter kids, I, in yeah. my experience, just kind of thinking back to my childhood, those are kids that always were good at running. And honestly, yeah. I, was, I was one of the kids that got shin splints. Yeah. Mainly I when think, I was I think, like, yeah. Yeah. probably like 15, 16, somewhere around there. Um, I played hockey, right? And I was not a big kid. I was whatever, 5'8", maybe 5'9", maybe one, I don't know, 80, 85 back then. So mm-hmm. decent, got some weight on me. And, you know, every time we did like any kind of length runs where it's like running, not sprinting. Always got shit in splints. Yeah, I think I think it's huge. I think um, especially with like if you have a kid that's a little more genetically gifted, a little bigger, a little thicker, even if he is strong, like there's mm-hmm. a certain level of strength that's required to maintain these posture and positions and and yeah. thi- and these things that need to be prerequisites. Mm-hmm. A lot of kids aren't strong enough, and a lot of times it's the it's not like people are thinking, oh, they're not strong enough. But my kid squats 300 pounds. It's like. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about their foot, str- lower leg, foot, ankle, yeah. shins. Like, Can they do a like single leg these, calf raise? Yeah, all these things that um, don't necessarily pop into someone's head immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, though, like those little chinks in the armor is what takes down those big, strong kids. You know, like they got all yeah. these issues. Well, it's um, funny. So after after I stopped playing hockey in junior um, I went back to my old strength coach. He had actually had a CrossFit gym, and I kind of got into that for obviously quite a long time now. And I can't remember how I got into it, but we talked about running or something. Maybe you saw me running. He's like, you suck at running. Watch this video. Um, and I dived into some of the pose running by Brian McKenzie. And the first run I did after that was like a 5K run in like New Balance, minimus, minimal shoes, like no sole. Ran the whole thing on my toes. Yeah, my calves were destroyed, but I didn't have shin splints. And ever yeah. since then, I've yeah. I've never had shin splints since I started running more forefoot. Never yep. had a shin splint. Yeah, and you would think, oh, people just naturally do that, but they don't. Not at all. <laughs> and no. and yeah, and there's a couple. We won't dive too far into this because this is all just like in my head. But oh yeah, uh, there's a couple kids in my gym that I want to kind of do some. A little bit of testing on at the PT clinic just because I have access to that on like a biodex and I want to see uh, my fast kids and the kids that naturally are coming in running well, like what the quad to hamstring strength ratio is on, on mm-hmm. both sides uh, yeah. and see like maybe these athletes are uh, a, a little bit tight in the hamstring because it tends like seems to be like they're not very mobile on their hamstring, which is probably just like yeah. that's not ideal, but I think it's causing them to be a little bit more. Uh, posterior chain focus because they can't they have to like Definitely. pull back their leg as much um I, it's funny i'd probably say i don't know if a number but i definitely more than not of the young boys that i get in like teenagers like 13 plus probably more well more than them than not can't touch their toes yeah they're super like tight. not even close yep and, and close. yeah and some of my fastest ones are like the tight kids which is because they've like 
that's benefiting them to a degree, but it's a higher oh, yeah. risk injury. So yeah. that's where it's like, you'd rather have somebody mobile and strong and able to maintain the positions, mm-hmm. but they're like getting away with like maintaining positions because naturally their body's tightened up. But again, like we said, that that's a higher risk for injury. So they're, Oh yeah. But also mm-hmm. a very real uh, issue that can occur from that. So yeah. Uh, that's, that's kind of like where my mind's starting to go. I'm going to do some research on it. And then depending on like, follow up on that and get a couple kids in there and test them. And then if I find like, it'll, it'll definitely influence some of my strength programming. If I find out like all these kids are way stronger in their hamstrings relative to their quads versus like other kids that are running weird and not doing it right. So, um, it'd be interesting to see if like where we can tweak and fine tune the strength work to have a direct carryover to what we're working on. Yeah. That's so, super interesting. Yeah. So I'll keep you updated on that, but mm-hmm. I think that answers the, the question. Uh, yeah. For other people to kind of dive into, we'll leave it just under 30 minutes, just so people can tend to listen to those episodes more. And then if we want to do a follow up one on it, for sure. let's do it. That sounds great. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for shooting that over. And I always appreciate a good question or two. So yeah. Thanks, Darren. Thanks for yeah, having me. Yeah. Good to connect with you. And, I'll have to catch up soon. Sounds good, man. See you, buddy. Bye.